As you know, in the beginning of each year, we see almost the entire world hanging their hopes on very high and lofty ideals for this next year, high and lofty goals for 2022. An online article called GoSkills.com listed 2022's top New Year's resolutions that were made. In other words, all the New Year's resolutions that were made publicly, the top 10 are these. Number one, exercising more. Number two, losing more weight. Three, get more organized. Four, learn a new skill or a hobby. Five, live life to the fullest. Six, save more money. Seven, quit smoking. Eight, spend more time with family and friends. Nine, travel more, read more. Number 10. So out of the top 10 resolutions made, seven of them require the word more in order for it to be fulfilled. I hope you noticed. Everything is about getting more, achieving more, experiencing more. And while everybody's getting obsessed with more of everything, I really believe that God has called you and I to become content with the very life that He has already given us. You guys know what it's like when a brat walks into the room. <laughs> Unfortunately, in some of the theology that we've grown up in, we are trained in bratness. <laughs> we are trained on how to just want more and more and more without ever believing and th that we didn't deserve any of it. It was all because of the grace and the mercy of God. And therefore, rather be thankful for what you have. Start there. To be trained in gratitude is what I really believe God has for us this year. Has there ever been a time, time in history that you, that you know of where people, haven't, where people have been less content than they are today? I mean, I just feel like this is the time in history where we have got more than we've ever had and we are more discontent than we've ever been. Never in history have you seen so many discontent people with so much opulence around them. I mean, in spite of all the progress, think about it. Cars are more luxurious than ever before. They are now faster than they've ever been before. People live longer than previous generations. We have bigger economies than ever before. Opportunity is greater than ever before. We have more millionaires. And imagine, can you, I mean, do you know how many billionaires we have in the world today, or at least in the United States? Never seen anything like this before. We have more time and money spent on entertainment today than in any generation in human history. I mean, if you're into crypto, you understand how much money is being spent on NTFs and, and all these different gaming systems. It's just an amazing thing. How much time, energy, finance has been spent on entertainment. Yet, in spite of all of this progress, almost everybody is dissatisfied because nothing is good enough for anybody anymore. Everybody's shouting, more, more, more and they're demanding it from everybody, but from their own production. Now, that is something that we've never heard, or we never hear taught on, but the whole concept of covetousness, covetousness and greed that goes hand in hand is really one of the most insidious, hidden 
evils that has destroyed most of this generation. Most sins flow from this sin called covetousness. Think about it. We see Lucifer who was discontent with the role God placed him in. Because of it, he lifted himself up and he demanded a new position. Of course, that caused his fall. Think about Adam and Eve. I mean, in the Garden of Eden, living in the most perfect environment, became discontent with what they had, desiring more, and it led to them disobeying God. Discontentment leads to a plethora of sins in our lives. It leads to divorce. It leads to abandoning children and families. Many men do. Now, women are doing the same thing. The thief was first discontent with what he had. Then he began stealing. The drunkard was first discontent with his station in life and started drinking, escaping. The drug addict was first discontent, then started shooting up. The power-hungry politician first became discontent with the amount of influence he already had. Because of it then, he started selling his lies and selling his false promises. It reminds me of what Peter Daniels used to say, is he knows exactly when a politician has told a lie. You know, a politician is lying to you the moment his lips start moving. <laughs> so the question we have is, can an imperfect human like you and I be content? Is this an obtainable goal for us to have for 2022? Is it possible? I realize that I've been many times you have felt a moment of contentment. The question is, how long were you content? My guess is until the next frustration showed up. Maybe the next frustration in your marriage showed up. Or maybe Cook County pushed up your tax bill yet again. Suddenly discontentment or contentment is, becomes discontentment. Because our contentment generally is or hangs on circumstances. Your and my contentment, we've been trained for it to hang on circumstances. The moment circumstance changes, contentment changes. According to the Apostle Paul, it is possible for humans, imperfect humans like you and I, to actually live very con with a, being very content in a very broken world. He says in Philippians 4 verse 11, Not that I speak from need, for I have learnt... Can everybody say learnt? For I have learnt to be content in whatever circumstances. Can everybody say circumstances? For whatever circumstances I am. You see the power of the Apostle Paul's claim right here. The power of that claim cannot become completely grasped until we actually know what kind of circumstance he was in while writing this. He was not sitting on a beach somewhere being served grapes by five-star hotels waiters. This was not his environment. This was not his circumstance. When Paul was writing this, he was in prison in chains surrounded by criminals, actual criminals. So the question is, why was it possible for Paul to be content inside of those circumstances? Look, if you can see 
what it was that enabled Paul to be content within his circumstances. Family, I want to tell you that it is possible for you to be content in 2022, no matter what the government decides, no matter what society does, no matter what happens, you can learn to be content in good times, in bad times, when you have much, when you have little. Because Paul is going to teach us that contentment does, is not determined by what you have, what you don't have, the circumstances you experience, who you're with, and who you're not with. Contentment is possible. So I hope, I hope that this is an inspiring but hopeful message to you as far as what God has called for us to be like this, this year. Let us be very different from the world. Let us be content in this life that God has placed us. Because unless we, if we do not believe God is sovereign, it will be very difficult to be content with the life we are in and the challenges we face. But if we do believe that He is sovereign and that all things come from the hand of God, this too, we know, is therefore part of His purpose because He works all these things together for good. He works all these things together for good, and we're going to get there in a second. So if your contentment is dependent upon circumstances, you will have a problem. The Apostle Paul tells us deliberately that circumstances were not the thing that determined his contentment. Look again in Philippians 4, 11 and 12. He says, I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. In whatever circumstances I am, doesn't matter the circumstances, I have learned to be content. I know how to get along with little and I know how to live in prosperity. Many people are discontent because they have so little. But guess what? Many people are discontent with the much they do have. And in any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being fulfilled and going hungry, or being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. So how did Paul become content? We have to notice that he did not say, quote, I received the baptism of the Holy Ghost, and now I have become so peaceful and content. That's not what he said. It was obviously not because he had comfortable environment. It wasn't because everything was going his way. No, Paul is clear. He says, I have learned to be content. And therefore, every single time, you and I have an opportunity to become discontent over what happens. This is our trial. This is our test for us to learn. This is our schoolmaster teaching us how to actually be content in spite of what's going on in our marriage, with our children, in the world, in society, on the job. This is your opportunity to learn to be content. It wasn't because everything was going his way. No, he learned this. Uh, this, is much, uh, th this much is clear. His contentment came from within, not from without. And that means if you are internally conflicted, if you are internally conflicted today, it, would, it, it wouldn't matter where you lived in the Garden of Eden, you would be a discontented individual. Some people think that that's their bent. It's not. 
It's just the lack of maturity. That's what that is. It's just by nature, a discontented individual. By nature, we are all discontented. But when we grow in the things of God, we learn that the state of our contentment doesn't hang upon what happens in the world, but it hangs upon who He is, our sovereign Lord. Working all things together for the good to those who love Him and are called according to His purposes. So this is much, this much is clear. His contentment came from within, not from without. It wouldn't matter that you have, if you are a discontented, in, internally conflicted individual, it wouldn't matter if you have the most thoughtful spouse, you will be discontent in your marriage. Not because of your spouse, because of you. It wouldn't matter if you have a healthy body, you would be discontent in this life because you are internally conflicted. If you are internally conflicted, it wouldn't matter if you got the promotion you always wanted and if you got that corner office that you were always looking for and eyeing, you will end up being discontent no matter what salary you earn or what achievement you make in life. So again, for Paul, contentment was not based on external circumstances but on an eternal reality. Your contentment or your lack thereof is a sign of what is going on inside of your soul. Somebody says, Jacques, I have no idea how anybody can be happy all the time. How can somebody just walk around and, and, and grin and smile and whistle and life is wonderful and everything's burning down around them, but they are just cheerful? Peachy. Nope. You see, the truth is, you can dislike Cook County. I don't know why Cook County keeps coming up. I don't know. <laughs> you, you can dislike where you live, yet be a content individual. You can be very angry at your kids and still be a content individual. You can be frustrated with your spouse at times and yet remain a content individual. You see, because discontentment does not mean you are always only happy. It doesn't mean that you never have any other emotion. You see, so we have to figure out, well, then what is it if it's not just I'm always a happy, cheerful, peachy person? Well, then what is it? Well, to be discontent means you want things that God hasn't yet given you. You want to be with someone else, people other than who God has currently placed around you. You want to go somewhere else where God does not currently have you. This is where you have placed your heart, your focus, your affections. You see, to the discontent person, what they have is not enough for them, and who they are with is not special enough for them, and where they are is simply not where they want to be. And they wouldn't be happy unless they left, unless they've gone. Have you ever been with somebody that makes you feel like they just can't wait to be with somebody else? <laughs> You're having a conversation and you go like, this, this, this person wants to be elsewhere. Well, the discontented person is like that with their lives. Paul learned contentment by learning to be grateful for what he does have, whether it be much or little. He learned to love who he was with, whether it be criminals 
in a prison. He learned to be satisfied in the moment and the place where God currently placed him at. That's why he could lead prison guards to the Lord. He had a mission and a purpose right there where he was at. While most of us would grumble and complain in that situation, he became fruitful. Because he, he learned to be content where he was, with what he had, and with whom he was around. So you have to learn to love where God currently has you. You have to learn to love where God currently has you. You have to learn to love those God currently has placed in your life. You have to learn to love the place God currently has placed you in. You see, that means every time things do not go your way, we are faced with an opportunity to, to be taught and learn contentment. So what is contentment? I love A.W. Pink wrote this. I want to quote it. He says, contentment is being satisfied with the sovereign dispositions of God's providence. It is the opposite of murmuring, which is the spirit of rebellion. The clay saying to the potter, why hast thou made me thus? Instead of complaining at his lot, a contented man is thankful that his condition and circumstances are no worse than they already are. Instead of greedily desiring something more than the supply of his present need, he rejoices that God still cares for him. Such a one is content with such as he has. And then Pink quotes Hebrews 13.5, Make sure that your character is free from the love of money, being content with what you have, being content with what you have. For he himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever abandon you. End of quote. So our conclusion here, regarding the question, what is contentment? Our conclusion is that contentment is the opposite of complaining and grumbling. Complaining and grumbling. Contentment is then in the heart that rests in God. He is sovereign. He knows best. He is able. He is all-powerful. He is omnipresent, omniscient, and He is the God that said He will never leave me nor forsake me. Third, contentment then is the heart whose will is subject to God's sovereign will and His moral will. That is the contented individual. There's no place on earth where you will be safer and more content than subject to the will of God. It's the person who says, God, you have decided to have me here right now, and I will joyfully submit to your will, and I will lead all these criminals in prison to you, and I will minister to those guards at the gates because this is currently where you have me. You see, contentment is the heart that believes God works all things together for the good. If you can believe that, you can be content. If you can believe that verse, you can be content with where you are at. So how do I, as a parent... 
raise my kids in contentment. And then I want to finish off with how do I model contentment in marriage? So I want to get to both those points. So if you're not familiar with, with our church and how we teach, usually we teach line upon line and we exegete from one from the beginning of a book to the end of the book, and we're currently working through the book of John. But today, because it's the beginning of the year, I felt very strong to share with you on contentment. Because I think it's very important for us to live out the scriptures instead of just teach them, hear them, know them, think they're nice, but them never having an effect in our lives. So how do I, as a parent, raise my kids in contentment? How many of you would like to know that? Yeah. Let me just tell you, if you don't have kids, all truth is universal. So it's true for everyone everywhere throughout all of time. But to the parents, I want to say this, number one, to raise your kids in contentment, number one, you have to be the content parent. Never demand something from your children that you yourself aren't willing to do or be. So first, learn to model contentment before demanding your children to be content with the life that you have offered them. As a parent, number two, never use gifts. Never use gifts as a way of cultivating contentment in your child. It has the opposite effect. Rather, teach them gratitude for what they already have before you pour more upon them. Most parents fall into this trap. If you ask parents anywhere in the United States, what is your highest hope and goal for your child one day? Most of them will say, to see them happy. How about having the goal of seeing them holy? How about that? Regenerated and sanctified. What a lofty goal that would be. You see, Christian parents, if your child's happiness is your ultimate goal, then chances are your child will end up being an entitled narcissist because you are training them in that. Think about it. Number three, parents, how do I raise my child in contentment? Is that you fight the spirit of entitlement in your child on a daily basis. This is something we have to do daily. Fight entitlement in ourselves and in them. Because it's the air we breathe these days. It's everywhere. It's part of our nature now. It's part of our culture and society. We have to fight that spirit of entitlement. You see, there is no such thing as an entitled person who's also a content person. Have you ever seen a happy rebel? No way screaming at everybody and they're always doing whatever they want to do. Never content, though. It's impossible. You cannot find an entitled person demanding from everyone what they believe they deserve, and content in life. You might wonder, well, how then, Jacques, do I fight entitlement in my child? Many of us wish we knew how to fight it within ourselves. <laughs> you see, I want to start off by just saying that the person who does not understand the doctrine of total depravity open themselves wide to the spirit of entitlement. But the person who understands the doctrine of total depravity cannot help but be thankful for the little bit that they do have because they know they don't even deserve that. 
Even that is God's mercy. That's why you'll find people who have so little and they can enjoy all of what they have. And then you find people who have so much and have an inability to enjoy any of it. So how do you cultivate or how do you fight entitlement in your life, in your child's life? Well, teach them to cope with not always getting, where they, getting their way. How do you cope with not getting your way? Number two, limit their access to pleasure. I really believe that people... Let me give you an example. I read an article that said that anybody who's watched six hours of TV flipping through the channels have lost 50% of their joy and contentment with the life that they have. All it takes is six hours. Now, that's not a scripture, but I did read that. But number two, I have experienced it. I have experienced children being much happier and have a much more content uh, demeanor when you limit access to pleasure. Number three, don't cover for them when they are out of line. Don't overlook their willing disobedience. Always allow for consequences. In other words, allow them to face the music throughout their childhood. Because people who never have to face off with the music, people who do, not, who do not have to deal with actual consequences are the ones who become entitled believing that they never have to have any consequences. And number four, instead of over-praising and, and, and falsely affirming your child, make them become honest about their own weaknesses and shortcomings. I think we, we do people so much harm by over-praising and over-affirming just for no reason. You know my little pet peeve? Drive up to Starbucks drive through and it's got this little sign saying, you are beautiful. You don't know me. <laughs> That's not always true. And what, the moment somebody does that, you go like, what do you want from me? You know, that's flattering. There's a difference between complimenting somebody and flattering somebody. Complimenting somebody, you give them something because it's true and it's real. Flattering somebody is you're trying to take something from them. Don't tell me I'm beautiful. You don't know me. You've never seen me. Have you ever seen those boards? At Starbucks, they have all these little sticky notes and they keep, and they have all these, I mean, it's dripping of toxic positivity. It's just, it's just horrible. You read through it and every time I, I, I take pictures of it, because every time I see it, it says, you are beautiful, you deserve more. I, I take a pen, ask Robert, he sees me do this all the time. I take a pen at the bottom, I say, uh, thank you, I really needed this, Hitler. <laughs> <laughs> you deserve more, I know I do. <laughs> I mean, who do you know, who, who are you telling this to? <laughs> so stop overpraising and stop falsely affirming your child consistently. Make them become honest about their weaknesses and shortcomings. Now, there's so much to be said on this subject, but I just wanted to bring this to your, to you, to your attention because this is what the world is feeding people every day, all day long. So we said, how do I raise my kids to be content, number one? Be content as a parent. Number two, never use gifts as a way to cultivate contentment inside of them. 
Don't think that you're going to give them enough gifts to the point where they are now content. Number three, fight the spirit of entitlement in your child on a daily basis. And number four, cultivate gratitude through preaching the true gospel. Honestly, if you aren't going to teach your child the gospel, let me ask you, who do you think God will hold responsible for that? If you aren't going to teach your child the true gospel and the true doctrine of the gospel, starting off with total depravity, instead of being grateful for what you do for them, they will believe they deserve most every, all the blessings they receive. Because only the person who doesn't believe he's totally depraved does believe he deserves something. He does believe it. They will never be grateful for anything unless they receive something they believe is beyond what they actually already deserve. They cannot be grateful unless it's something they believe is greater than what they already deserve. Teach your children the gospel. So that is how do I parent, as a parent, raise my child. But now I just want to close off by talking about how do I model contentment in marriage? How do I model contentment in marriage? First and foremost is we have to believe let me say that you have to believe that your spouse is God's will for you. You have to believe that. There's nothing more tormenting than believing your spouse was not who God's was not God's will for you. But here I am, stuck in this marriage. Now you have to start off by believing this is God's will for me, our marriage. If you are the person that wonders about that, know this, that that voice causing you to wonder about whether the spouse you have was in fact from God or not, that is the voice of the devil bringing division within your marriage. Well, how do I know? How do I know that I married God's will for my life? Well, the moment you said, I do, it became a marriage, and marriage is God's will for you. The moment you said, I do, this became God's will for you. And anything else from that moment on is no longer God's will for you. Number two, with the two exception clauses which you know about. Number two, how do I model contentment in marriage is never demand from your spouse what you can only get from God. Never demand from your spouse what you can only get from God. In other words, don't expect your spouse to be who only God can be to you in life. You see, Paul never demanded somebody else to do something or to become somebody so that he could be content. And isn't this just like society today? Even the criminal is no longer guilty for his crime. It's society's fault that he's now a criminal. Because he was born without sin, remember? As far as the world is concerned. Deep down, he's a really good person. And the Bible says, no, 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 <laughs> We've, we are totally depraved, every single one of us. When you come out and you are born, you have a sin nature. But this world has a way of attempting to undo everything that God says is true about us. So don't demand from somebody else what you should be getting from God. Paul didn't put upon other people the responsibility of keeping him content. No. He, 
He made it his own responsibility to learn contentment no matter what other people were doing. And the same is true for you and I. It doesn't matter what your children are doing, you have to learn contentment within that moment. And in all things, give thanks. It doesn't matter what your spouse said. It doesn't matter what your boss is deciding. You learn contentment. You cannot demand them to change before you can become content. It's called manipulation. And that is a, that is a giving up of your own responsibility before God. So first, believe that your spouse is God's will for you. Number two, never demand from your spouse what you can only get from God. Number three, ask yourself, am I content in the role God has assigned me in marriage? Am I content with the role God has assigned me in marriage? This is the nature of, of our culture today. Everybody wants to overthrow what God has designed them as. Male wants to be female. Female wants to be male. Women have to rule. Have to be in places of power. Otherwise, everything is unfair. So you have to ask yourself, look, if, if we are going to misplace roles as we have in society, if we're going to do it anywhere, you will find it is an abuse. And anything that is misused is abused, right? Anything. If you take a beautiful Ferrari and you go plow with the thing, you are abusing it. Why? Because you are misusing it. You're using it for a, for a wrong purpose. And in the same way, when we are misplacing these roles that God has called us to, we are, we are asking for abuse and we are asking for dysfunction because that Ferrari will eventually stop working. And the world is dysfunctional because we consistently decide, we consistently judge that God was wrong because we don't feel like this is right. Anybody who wants to overthrow God's sovereignty, whether it be in their sexuality or whether it be the roles that they have in relationship with society, those, those people are ultimately being abused. because of their own decisions and will eventually become dysfunctional and are, as you can see. So let's make sure that thing doesn't creep into our marriages because there is no contentment in a marred, scarred, and dysfunctional marriage. So ask yourself, am I content in the role God has assigned me in marriage? Role misplacement is the fundamental cause of strife and division in marriage today, at least from my perspective. See, as a wife, are you always attempting to take control, assuming the responsibility to lead in your home? If you are, you know that's not of God. As a husband, are you always attempting to surrender <laughs> the, the responsibility of leading? Okay, okay, whatever, yeah, whatever. No, no, just, yeah, fine, whatever. It's okay, just, you know, whew, if I can just have peace. Now, that is not God's way of responding in a situation like that, man. We have to answer to God for the responsibilities that were delegated to us by God himself. And even if it comes with a couple of bruises, it's going to be okay. <laughs> you cannot compromise your way into the will of God. 
You cannot compromise your way into a happy marriage. It will never end up happy if you keep on abdicating your responsibilities and if you keep on trying to grab a different role because there'll be more peace when you do. Are you guys following what I'm saying? So ask yourself, am I content in the role that God has delegated me? Just like I can be discontent in the world God has placed me, discontent with the gender God has assigned me, I can be discontent with the role God has given me in marriage. Number four, when you said I do, you meant I won't. When you said I do, you actually meant I won't. I won't always demand my own way. I won't act like it's all about me all the time. I won't have an insatiable ego. If you can be free from ego, you can learn to be content in any circumstances, especially marriage. Number five, and the last one, the person who is content is amused by anything, yet never offended at, no, uh, yet never offended at anything. I actually miswrote that. The person who is content is amused by anything and offended by nothing. That's what I meant to write. Have you, have you met somebody who like nothing, nothing is fun anymore? <laughs> they can't even laugh at a good joke. It's just nothing. It's almost like, you know, you had a great party until they walked in. They're like the downer of everything. Can't have fun. Can't enjoy anything. Why not? Because this president, man. <laughs> because my boss, man. You know, my, my wife. and You know, my children. You know, you know nothing is enjoyable but because a person is discontent. But to a content individual, things are funny. They love laughing at stuff. They're easily amused. You trigger them. You trigger that content. That contentment is, is, this, is the mat or the, the, you know, the spring they can, they can launch off of. They're just always looking. I mean, they're just looking for an, the next joke. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not saying they're they irresponsible uh, a teenage kid. No, I'm just saying that they, they, love, they can love life. But offense is far from them because they are content. So we have to be in marriage. So how do I model contentment in marriage? Believe that your spouse is God's will for you. Number two, never demand from your spouse what you can only get from God. Number three, ask yourself, am I content in the role God has assigned me in marriage? Number four, when I said I do is when I meant I won't. And then number five, the person who is content is amused by anything, offended by nothing. Did you get something out of the word today? Amen.